Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This crowd rises to its feet. Carl slammed it home. Garland left wing. Three ball. Perfect. Garland in front of the lane. Locked. The Mobley pow. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Pow with the left hand and a foul. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Chase Down is presented by Fubo TV. Watch over 100 channels of live sports and TV for half the cost of cable. There's no contract and no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com. The Cleveland Cavaliers bounce back and end their losing streak with a resounding win over the Toronto Raptors. Uh, no Carter Rodriguez on the podcast today. I am happy to announce that he is a dad times two. I'll leave it up to him to uh, share those details at the appropriate time, but could not be happier for the Rodriguez family. But joining me today, filling in is my good buddy and friend of the podcast, Spencer Davies' Basketball News and the Keeping It 94 podcast. Spencer, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. And congrats, Carter. We're happy for you, buddy. Super happy for him. And I'm almost as happy that the Cleveland Cavaliers finally gave the Toronto Raptors what they deserve. Because, you know, it, it's been a frustrating season for that head-to-head matchup uh, and for the Cavs to come out and, and handle them as dominantly as they did was was certainly refreshing sometimes shooting luck goes the other direction we haven't had a lot of that this year but certainly got that against toronto and especially coming off that loss to atlanta it it was a real palate cleanser what 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 stood out to you spencer (laughs) as you watch uh, the Cavs take care of business well i think it was kind of like exercising their demons uh at twofold you know you're coming off of the you know three game skid starting off the the all-star break the way they have um, just obviously has left a bad taste in their mouth. They competed really well against the Nuggets. Let's face it. I mean, that was just a, you know, some things happened down the stretch that didn't go their way. And the Nuggets are an amazing offensive team with a lot of weapons. So that one you can accept. The one in Atlanta was troubling just because of, of how well the Hawks were able to just kind of outrun them, uh, outcompete them, you know, get the loose balls and all that other stuff but the way they responded to that and responded to this three-game skid against the Raptors was they wanted to set the tone early and that's what Darius Garland did that's what Donovan Mitchell did and honestly it was the it was the core four that was that was the story of the night I mean Jared Allen and Darius Garland working in the pocket Evan Mobley continuing to just diversify his offensive game and and at the same time hold up that defensive end of the floor uh, as we know he's done all season long crashing the boards um, it was all about them, I think, on Sunday, uh, as you saw in the box score, very top-heavy. Uh, but Darius Garland, I think, uh, you know, he didn't have the the nicest of the stat lines. That was obviously Donovan Mitchell with with his big-time performance, 35 points. But, I mean, Darius Garland going out there, getting the 18 points, 11 assists, but putting zero turnovers on the board and a plus 39 in that game, that's pretty big stuff right there. It's pretty awesome. I call these games blueprint games. I, we, we've had a couple this season where all four – just put up ridiculous numbers that look like what you would get if you were trying to prioritize them in a video game or something like that. But for all four of them to shoot over 50% from the floor, as you mentioned, Mitchell, 35 points, four assists, three steals, Garland, 18, 11, and two, Mobley, 18, nine, four, Allen, 23, and 11. Like that is so much fun. And it's just another one of those kind of proof of concept games that these four really work well together. 
Uh, we, we've seen it all season. Uh, I just checked today on cleaning the glass. The net rating with all four of them on the court is, is plus 7.3, uh, which would be best in the league. Like for a starting lineup this young to perform this well is a real feather in the cap. And I kind of had a light bulb moment, Spencer, where I, I was thinking about kind of some of the, the negativity and doubt that comes in during a losing streak. And I'm like, well, I don't really get that upset because I know the Cavs can play better than they did Atlanta, right? Like, I know that they're a better team than that, so I don't really get worried about it. Then I realized, on the flip side, I can see why fans would get annoyed at a performance like Atlanta because they know that they can play better than that. I'm like, the, the same reason why I feel good and confident is probably part of the reason why people get frustrated because going into that Atlanta game, and we said on the podcast prior to the weekend, there was a real chance that you could lose all these games, right? Like the second night of a back-to-back in Atlanta, uh, Denver's obviously a very good team. I agree with your assessment that they played really well, but Atlanta wasn't what I expected, where you're at the rest disadvantage and maybe you have some tired legs. It was a lack of focus and execution. So for the Cavs to bounce back from that so quickly against a team that's given them a lot of trouble in Toronto, that was encouraging to me. It was quite encouraging, and I think, you know, there's another circumstance there with Atlanta as well. They had the interim head coach, Joe Prunty, and then they had announced uh, or they'd been reported that Quinn Snyder got hired as their head coach. They obviously introduced him today, but, I mean, you that's another part of You always win that game too. after you fire a coach. You always time. do. <laughs> there's, like, some unwritten rule uh, in <laughs> basketball that that just always has to happen. But, you know, going back to your point, the way they responded, I think, is is what – makes them as good as they are because they have to go through these things. Donovan Mitchell mentioned it, man. Like the regular season is important regardless of what people talk about. It's when you do build those habits. It's when you do kind of ramp up before this stretch here going into the postseason. They've got less than 20 games to go, man. Like it's pretty crazy that we're already here. Um, But they have to, you know, kind of bring that consistency. And that's something that pretty much every NBA team in the league is still searching for. I think besides a handful of teams, like maybe the Bucks, because they were on that winning streak. You obviously have Denver, who was just in town. Um, Philly's been doing good, but, you know, Boston's obviously at the top there too. But I feel like a lot of the teams outside of that top three, top four, haven't had that consistency. So it obviously drives people mad. But at the same time, you see the potential and what they already do have. And that just kind of makes you salivate a little bit because you're like, wow, they can do this. Uh, especially against the team that gave him trouble the the first three times they met him, just like you said, then, you know, the possibilities are, are really high with this group. Um, there's still some questions, and I'm sure we're going to get into that, but I think overall, big picture-wise, they look good. They really do, and one of the reasons I encourage people to always check the box scores, one, it really matters because it's been such a tight race in the NBA and just checking in on what all these teams are doing. Um, it's important. It's important when you care about the standings and positioning, but it's also important too, just to see what other teams are going through, right? Like there's not a single team in the league that has a fan base that isn't counting five to 10 losses that shouldn't have occurred, right? That uh, just games that that frustrate them the, the same way we get frustrated looking back at the Warriors game. Like Boston, for example, they went to Orlando and they played Orlando twice. They lost both of those games. Uh, Miami's lost twice recently to Charlotte uh, while they're in a a tight Eastern Conference race, right? Like fan bases are kicking themselves over that. And it it was funny because I I was listening to uh, Carmen and Lima uh, recently, and one of the callers brought up 
Cavs aren't actually that young. They're like, they, you always hear this excuse about the Cavs being young, but if you look at their average age, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, that's propped up by Kevin Love at the time, Robin Lopez, Howell Neto, Ricky Rubio. Uh, and, and it was really kind of solidified for me uh, when a user in our Discord brought this up today. The average age of the starting five of the, the top teams in the Eastern Conference, Boston's at 28, Milwaukee's at 30, Philly's at 30, and the Cavs are at 23. Like, <laughs> there, there is a little bit of a difference there. And we saw inconsistency even with the LeBron team, right? But uh, it, to me, it's really fascinating because you go from three games and four nights to start the post all-star break to two games this week uh, where there's actually probably going to be a chance to rest and have practices and prepare for such an important stretch. And to me, it's really fascinating because you look at these next five games and they're going to be really, really important when it comes to determining where the Cavs end up in the East. Especially because, I mean, they're going to be taking on a hot team in New York, first of all. Um, I mean, I don't know if you see the Knicks, they're going to, they're, they're, really taking it to, to Boston right now. And obviously the game's going on, but like, that's a big team to play. Um, the Nets, I know they've had their kind of their, their, you know, their uh, lumps here and there, but yeah, the, the Chicago this, game was a, a bit of a lump for sure. <laughs> I was going to say they've had their lumps, but they are still a new team. That's kind of energized by, you know, obviously Mikel Bridges is there. You got Cam Johnson trying to prove something. So, you know, these are teams that you still can't take lightly. Um, and again, like I said, with the Knicks, they're just really ripping through right now, but uh, that, that I think, um, is a good way to kind of, um, you know, reset a little bit. Like you said, they have some off days, um, some games in between and, you know, JB Bickerstaff actually brought this up because someone asked about, you know, the rotations and how they handle it because obviously the core four guys are playing a lot, a lot. Um, and again, those questions that we're probably going to get to is, is the, the other guys, right? Um, but those off days are, are where they're going to have to get their treatment, where they're going to have to really use those as, you know, a way to kind of physically recover and then be ready to step on the floor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you bring it up too. Uh, they have the least amount of games left in the NBA. You know, yeah. if you knew that. So that's, that's pretty advantageous, especially when you look at the schedule um, down the stretch, it gets a little bit lighter. Now, again, don't take any of these teams lightly because they're all, you know, searching and trying to get to the play and trying to get to the postseason. I actually did an article for basketballnews.com about the parody around the league right now. But the, you know, the bottom tier teams are going to meet them a couple times. They've got a couple of road trips where they're going to play two, like, like those mini series types of uh, things. I think one in Miami and one in Charlotte, I believe. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're going to be on the road for a good bit of this. But again, those, those rest days, those are big time. You got to take advantage of them. Yeah, it's nice that not only is the schedule light, uh, I think it's one of the top five easiest schedules from strength to schedule standpoint, but you do have more rest because you've played four or five games more than most teams. So uh, from kind of a minute management standpoint, uh, you, you would assume that, hey, if you take care of business and, and some of these uh, teams that are at the bottom of their conferences, you do what you did uh, when you were in Houston, you're going to actually be able to rest the starters for a lot of these games and keep yourself sharp for games that are going to be really significant in the standings. But I think what you noted about not taking any team lightly is really important because not only did the plan expand the field of teams that are trying to remain competitive at this point, but you, you couple that with the new lottery odds and there's just not the incentive to flat out suck the way that there used to be, right? Like uh, a team like Orlando is still going to be trying to, to build chemistry together and figure out what is and isn't working. Even Charlotte, 
now that Plumlee's gone, Mark Williams uh, and developing chemistry with LaMelo Ball, like that, that is going to be so important. And LaMelo's playing great basketball. Like any of these teams can really go out and catch you at any given time. So I think it is really important that the Cavs don't take any of these teams lightly. And hopefully you learn some lessons from last season, right? Where even though there were a lot of injuries, there's still games like the Orlando one that will jump out and haunt you, right? Like if they just took care of business in that game, the season would have ended very differently in all likelihood. Right. No, I completely agree with you on that one. And, you know, taking teams lightly just can't do it. Can't do it in the NBA. Anyone can get you at any time. I mean, even in that seven game winning streak that they had uh, before they lost to Philly, um, like that Spurs game down the stretch, they, they were not happy with how they played. Uh, still got the W, but like, that's just a perfect example. I think of even a team that's at the bottom of the barrel in, you know, the West, they still came to compete and there's guys out there trying to prove there's guys trying to earn contracts. There's guys trying to earn spots and rotations. So those are things that you have to take into account when you play these games. Mm-hmm. And probably the the leader of taking the, the this final stretch seriously is going to be Donovan Mitchell, right? He He's probably going to make a All-NBA for the first time this season. Uh, if he doesn't, I'm going to have a very uh, outraged podcast episode. <laughs> so be warned, NBA. Um, but, you know, I found it interesting because Donovan did struggle uh, during that three-game losing streak. He was shooting 41-29 from the floor. Uh, 26 of 63 like he, he just really didn't look like himself uh the, the last three games and i i thought it was interesting that uh you get the report uh I believe it's from chris fedor saying that kind of the hours leading up to the toronto game had a heart-to-heart with mitchell and donovan uh you know straightforward conversation and mitchell said i got you and he came out and responded and uh to, to me it's just encouraging to see you know when, when a coach does have that feel for the locker room and has that rapport uh between him and mitchell and I was even listening to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast today where Fedor was talking about the respect that Donovan has for JB. Uh, as someone that's actually been around the team uh, way more than Carter and myself, can, can you speak to kind of the, the dynamics of that relationship and some of the impressions you've got, uh, I guess, through 60-something games? I mean, JB just raves about him almost after every game, and it almost it's almost like ad nauseum. You know, there's different ways that you can describe him, but first and foremost, it's all always about the team. You know, the the saying for the Cavs this year is the team is the team. The strength of the team is the team. So, I mean, Donovan Mitchell has you know embraced that. I mean, I've asked him a couple you know questions from you know Donovan at the end of games. You'll see him going and diving on the floor. You'll go see him. Uh, going and grabbing rebounds against guys like Joel Embiid, you know, like those are plays that you don't typically see the, the, the quote unquote stars make because of the role players. Right. But Donovan just does it all. He like, and, and even if he's not having a good shooting, shooting night, he's still engaged. He's still someone that's locking in on the defensive end, getting steals, um, you know, finding teammates. He has su- he has such a good playmaking ability that we really don't, you know, go appreciate appreciation for because Darius Garland could do it so well. <laughs> um, but Donovan, I mean, the attention he draws um, and is able to make those pocket passes and is able to make the next pass or the, the, the assist that lead or the uh, hockey assist that leads to the assist, you know, that the, the three assist thing. Um, he's just a, he's a ball mover. Um, he is somebody who is not afraid to take the big shot. He's not afraid um, to, you know, break down a guy one-on-one um, I think something that Nick Nurse said before yesterday's or before uh, Sunday's game was really cool. 
Um, he was talking about the combination of moves that he has and the balance he has to go with it. Uh, and I know we're getting kind of into the on-court part, part of it, but uh, he's just, you know, been able to find so many ways to create his own shot too. Uh, and that's something that he's done for a while. Uh, but he's got such an array of moves and an amazing balance and, and the way that he's able to, uh, you know, make himself open, but also create for others. It's just, it's the total package. And I think just because, you know, he has a little down January, his he has a groin injury that kind of hampers him, even when he is playing. Um, you know, you kind of forgot about the way that he started the season, which was ridiculous. He was an MVP talks the first, you know, uh, two, three weeks, maybe even a month of the season, the way he was playing, the way he was shooting. Um, but I think over time, he started to find that chemistry with these guys. Um, that goes for Evan. That goes with playing off of DG, playing with DG off the ball, going off the ball when DG has the ball on his hands, um, finding Isaac in the corner when guys shrink on him in the middle of the floor. Um, Darius Garland even mentioned, too, uh, when Donovan's just sitting out there on, on the outside, guys are so drawn to him or have to pay attention to him that it opens up the pocket for Jared Allen and it opens up, you know, looks for guys in the corners and whatever it may be. So that right there, that's the kind of gravity uh, that he carries with him. And, you know, opposing coaches just also raise, rave over him all the time uh, coming into these, these situations in these games. So, you know, the, the relationship with JV is obviously, um, really good and, and really uh, have a good rapport with each other. But, I mean, from my perspective, it just seems like everything's healthy on that front. And I think that to be a leader the way that Donovan's been a leader this year and only be 26 years old uh, is is pretty dang uh, remarkable. The, the savvy veteran uh, on the Cavs is 26 years old. <laughs> what a time to be alive. I, yeah. I, was, I was so impressed with how they set the tone early on against Toronto. And obviously it, it helps – you compare it to the game that the last game they played in Toronto, where it was four games in five nights and OG really kind of locked up Mitchell. If I'm not mistaken, I think the team was all kind of battling the flu at that time of year as well. Uh, turns out rested Donovan Mitchell's a, a little harder to, to turn off his uh, water, but at, at the same time, like that was a, that's a very physical team and that's a type of defense that's given them problems in the past. Right. And even though Fred Van Vliet was out and that obviously hurts Toronto's offense, um, all that means from a defensive standpoint is there's even more length, right? Like Scotty Barnes is on Darius Garland, Gary Trent Jr. Uh, on Donovan Mitchell and OG on Donovan Mitchell. Actually, I think Gary was uh, on Isaac, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, for them to match Toronto's level of physicality early on in the game and, and for them to be able to navigate kind of that physical perimeter defense, that trapping. I mean, part of the reason why Garland got up fewer threes than Mobley in that game is because Toronto is so aggressive with how they blitz. Garland was able to kind of carve through that battle, through the physicality, get into the heart of the defense and create shots for others. And um, I, I just thought it was a really, really impressive performance. And it coming against a team that's given them troubles. Uh, after they've lost to a team that's given them troubles in the past <laughs> in Atlanta, it's encouraging. And uh, I, I'm just curious to see now with, with two days off before this kind of marquee game against Boston, uh, what type of preparation is going into that? And, and if they're able to come come out and throw the first punch in that game in Boston, because that's uh, that, that's going to be a really, really fascinating game. It is. It is going to be a really fascinating game. I'm, I'm interested to see uh, how the Celtics look at this one because obviously we know what happened the first two and they were just 
they were bangers, man. Let's be honest. Like those were some really good games. Uh, if you recall the the Donovan Mitchell and Karras both going for forty in the first one and coming out in an overtime win, and then the the rematch in Cleveland. Uh, only so far, you know, before that was it was great. It was a really fun game. Um, and and Jason Tatum's everything that you know every every pundit wants to say about him. Like he is the real deal. Um, he is so fun to watch live. Um, but I, I'm interested to see how how Boston comes out in this one because similar. It's almost similar to what the Cavs went with uh went through with the, the Raptors you know like that I think is um really interesting that you know Toronto had the Cavs number and then they lose that last game right mm-hmm. Boston's gonna look to be doing the same thing against Cleveland so, oh for sure they're, they're gonna have an edge like there's no they way they're not gonna have an edge and, and kind of try to put their best foot forward I, I know right now uh, they're down 14 uh, to the Knicks at halftime. Looks like Jalen Brown is out of the lineup, so we'll see what his availability is for that game. But uh, I, I definitely expect them to to come out because, I mean, I don't think the tiebreaker is going to matter. Well, obviously, the, the Cavs can get a tiebreaker winning one of these two games against Boston. But um, from a Cleveland standpoint, and we've talked about this before, but there's just not a lot of opportunities from here on out to kind of get that marquee win uh down the stretch of the season right like these next five games where you play boston twice you get a little break with detroit and then you play miami twice outside of that stretch it's really the philly game which is going to be kind of one of those tough rest situations where three games in four nights philly's going to have two days off um so that's that's going to be a tough test for the Cavs. um but outside of that like these games are going to be rested for uh it's going to be really important for the standings and uh, I tweeted this yesterday, but looking at like Boston twice, Miami twice, and Detroit, I'd be pretty happy with splitting both of the the games against Boston and Miami and taking care of business with Detroit. Like if you can do better than that over this five game stretch, I'd be thrilled. But three and two, I, I think I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, no, I think so too. Um, you know, obviously every game is not going to go perfectly. Yeah. Um, you, that's something that just is it just comes with the territory, but. There, I mean, you want to definitely come out and, and again, set the tone against the teams that you're battling with there in the, the top. I think the goal for them should just be finishing that top four, right? I think you want to get that home court advantage. You don't want to lose it. Um, and I think that you can probably stave off who's behind you right now. But things can flip. Um, and, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier, but you just don't want to take any team lightly. And those teams that you do play that are, you are battling for those spots, um, you're going to want to come out on top and, and do what you can uh, to set yourself up well for the the next level of the season, which is the playoffs. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I sometimes like to give a little bit of advice for podcasters. And, you know, if you're a podcaster and you're looking to come on top when it comes to video conferencing, you can do no better than going with Zoom. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe, Zoom, how the world connects. Spencer, I want to dive a little deeper into kind of this five-game stretch because, like I said, there's not going to be a lot of opportunities to kind of get some statement wins after this stretch. So it's really going to be kind of a telling time, and uh, obviously they're they're still uh, a month and a half after it uh, for the Cavs to to get right and get their groove going into the playoffs. Um, As much as we like to say, 
you know, getting hot at the right time and, and that's going to translate to the postseason. I remember the 2018 Cavs just blazing through the end of their season and, and then running into a wall of the Indiana Pacers and, and almost losing there. But uh, when you're looking at this stretch, is, is there something that you're hoping to learn from the Cavs from these performances beyond just the results? Like, is there kind of a point of emphasis or, or something that intrigues you uh, with the Cavs that might get revealed over these two weeks? Uh, I, I would think you would just need to stick to their identity. Uh, and Darius brought that up in the post game after the, the win over Toronto was that they played with their identity on the, on that day. And that's getting stops and that's getting your offense going before the defense can get set. And I know that's probably cliche, but it is, it's what they do, man. I mean, you have two of the best defending big men in the league. Um, you know, I think that, uh, Darius and Donovan's defense has to get a little bit more credit too. Um, mm -hmm. but I mean, if you're down the floor before the opponent can really dig into what you're doing and you get into those actions quicker, you're going to have better results. And I think that uh, their pace was a little bit higher against Toronto. I think that was something that uh, seemed a little bit different to me um, because they're usually a half-court team. But mm -hmm. they were really trying to get up the floor after they were getting these stops, after they were getting, you know, forcing these turnovers. And uh, it looked pretty. It did. It uh and I think that probably would be the biggest thing I'd be looking for over this stretch. But yeah, I mean, being consistent, that that's the biggest thing I can say. And, and again, I know that I, it's kind of a lame duck answer, but I, I think that that's the biggest and best habit you can build going towards April. It's just, you have to not have any more letdowns. Hmm. Um, I'm sure that they'll probably will be one or two, uh, because you know, Odd, 19 are. games <laughs> that's, that's 19 usually the way the NBA left. goes yeah but they seemed really perturbed about Atlanta they seemed really perturbed about the way that one shook out good and uh I I mean that's that's what I always say like sometimes when you see the backlash and, and people getting worked up after a game like that they'll you'll get uh oh you gotta hold these guys accountable I'm like first of all none of them listen no one cares what I say and trust me they care more about this than anybody watching, right? Like they're, they're this is a prideful team. This is a team that that wants to to achieve something that, that believes they probably have higher expectations for themselves than, than even we do, right? Like so it's it doesn't surprise me to hear that the the Atlanta game was received that way. And as much as it's cliche to say consistency, I really do think that is the key because so many of these losses, it's it's been them getting away from what they do best. And, and not only did they get out and run after stops against Toronto, but they kept the bigs involved early, right? Like Jared Allen was dominant. Now, uh, Jakob Pertl's presence really didn't deter uh, he and Mobley from just going to work and getting to the rim. And you, you look at kind of this research, or I shouldn't say resurgence, but this step forward that Evan Mobley's taken over the last 25 games or so, when he's rolling, it opens up opportunities for everybody else. And, and that's that's an, another reason why I call like the Toronto game a, a blueprint game, because when all four are clicking, it becomes so hard for defenses to kind of identify one aspect of the team and, and shut that down. Uh, when, when Garland or Mitchell kind of get sticky fingers at the end of games and defenses are able to kind of hone in on them or if one of them's out of the lineup, that becomes a little easier to defend. But when you got two big men that that can be so explosive attacking the rim and finishing at the rim, they pass so well. Uh, you have two guards that can play so well on and off ball. When all four 
remain uh, active and, and part of every single action and play that they're running and touching the ball, the Cavs really do become a hard team to defend, even though they're not some sort of a exceptional three-point shooting team at this point. Yeah, no, they're definitely not easy to defend when, especially, especially I mean, you got to bring up Evan Mobley's offensive growth. It's <laughs> it's just been, it, it's it's incredible, man. He's taking the ball, you know, up the floor himself now. Like he's he's actually going, you know, grabbing these rebounds after getting a stop or getting a block and taking it himself. He's initiating it himself. Um, you know, he's hunting out mismatches when he doesn't have the ball. When he does have the ball, um, he's been more confident in taking shots. Uh, you know, the the jump hook, uh, shooting corner threes. Now, this is interesting because I asked JB that on Sunday um, that he's been in the corners more, and we haven't seen much of that this year. Um, but he feels like teams are going to start sagging off of him um, until he starts making them. So, you know, what he took six um on sunday and he made two of them i know that's not great but the fact that he is comfortable enough taking that shot now uh just because that would bring an entirely different element to the Cavs offense if he started you know knocking those down at even a 35 percent clip or something like that um mm -hmm. he is he's just been so dominant and it's so good at searching out those mismatches and i mean taking it the onus upon himself uh to just be just just a monster <laughs> like yeah, that's the best way i can put it uh because again we know what he brings on the defensive end and the the help defense is incredible and the strides and all that but when he's taking it himself and darius or donovan doesn't touch the ball uh in transition or there's an, a half court position where he's demanding the ball uh which he's gotten better at according to both dg and donovan uh then you're in a place to where he could be the best person on that team that night if he wanted to be yeah. So, uh, and that's a scary thought, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Like, the funny thing is, you look at the Eastern Conference right now, and Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly, I, I think we'd all concede that they would have the best player in a, a series against the Cavs. Where the Cavs' advantage is, is how many Cavs players would you name after that before you get to a member of the other team, right? Like, is Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland able to outplay Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton or, or James Harden in a series? Uh, or, or are they able to kind of match what, what Jalen Brown is doing? And are the bigs more productive than, than any other player on Boston? Uh, like, that's kind of the sweet spot. It's it's not ideal to, to go into a series uh, without the best player. Uh, it's not something that Cavs fans have done in decades going into a playoff series. It, it's just, we always had that guy in LeBron James. Um, but being able to do it, as I said, with an average age starting lineup of 23 and being competitive and uh, having these guys step up, that's the most important thing. And keeping them all engaged and keeping them productive, I think that's the type of habits they need to build. And that's the type of habits that I'd like to see displayed in some of these tests, so playing in Boston, playing two games in Miami, even the, the two games in Brooklyn against uh a good defensive team that has a lot of length, right? Like these are all going to be interesting tests and these defenses are going to be, especially getting to see the Cavs twice within the, the span of a week, you're probably actually going to see a little bit of game planning, right? Like that's what I love about these baseball series is teams are going to try to take some stuff away from the Cavs and uh, try to get them away from their identity. So if Cleveland's able to make the adjustments uh, to kind of respond to whatever pressure those teams are throwing at them, I think that that would be a really encouraging sign 
going into the postseason because that is absolutely going to be what we're going to see come playoff time. And that's good experience too for JB. You know, like that's a, I think yeah. that's another initial part of this too is you know uh, in those series like see how they played you in the first game and then you make the necessary adjustments the next. I think it, you know it's pretty simple. Um, another thing I wanted to to bring up too, uh, if you wanted to talk about new wrinkles in the offense, um, you know Jared Allen's made most of his money you know being in the pocket and whatnot, uh, but they are putting him on the baseline a little bit more too um, because Evans been in the pocket too, so that's kind of added another part of his effectiveness um being able to kind of use that uh different part of his skill set to punish teams in the inside uh so you know look out for that as well and i mean there's other guys that are that are that are contributing as well uh like i think i think Karras is having probably his best stretch of the season and you wouldn't know it by the box score like i it's wild I, like i like, i never would have expected to see Karras Levert where I'm actually asking him to shoot more. Like when I'm watching on TV, I'm like, hey, you could be a little more aggressive here. You could get your own shot, but he's really competing on defense. The playmaking's been really good. Um, he's taking open threes when they're there. Uh, this is not what I expect from Karis LeVert, but we've talked about it all year about the level of buy-in that he's had. And for him mm -hmm. to kind of be that sixth man and not be a, a sixth man gunner, because that's not necessarily what the Cavs team needs when you have one of Garland and, and Mitchell on the court at all times, but to just be kind of another connecting piece, piece and, and be that playmaker and, and someone that they can use to to uh, attack a destabilized defense when, when teams trap and hedge, uh, that's that's really valuable. I, I would like just a little bit more shooting. Like I, I'd like to see him uh, take the threes when they're available. Honestly, a, a lot of the role players, I, I felt even passed up some open threes against Toronto. Um, but overall, I, I agree with you. I, I think he's been really, really effective and helpful over this stretch. Yeah, definitely. I, you, you brought up the word connector. I think that's perfect. Um, the, the way that he's been able to find guys on dump-offs to the to the drives of the rim, like Jarrett and him have just a I was about to say, that baseline Jarrett Allen, right? The, yep, in the dunker it's, spot. It's, it's a perfect connection, and that goes back to their time in Brooklyn. He told me that. I actually interviewed him for basketballnews.com. Um, before the all-star break but uh he i think has really like you said uh given this team somebody they they can depend on um to fulfill his role and you know that's not easy for someone especially someone who's in a contract year that's another sacrifice that we don't talk about with him um you you brought up the uh turning down shots thing that was interesting for me um seeing dean wade actually do that sometimes and and he still got quite a few up but uh dean dean's got to have a little bit more of a more of a shot uh than than he has had um his his minutes have uh, has fluctuated a little bit too um i thought he had a, he did a good really good job of uh bodying up guys on toronto though uh, in that game um i'm interested in this rotation it's a little interesting um to see how the minutes have been divvied up as of late um i think they think they're still looking uh but they only played eight guys against toronto yeah which is which is interesting to me um I thought Isaac Okoro had a really uh, solid stretch there in the third. Um, he'd kind of been, you know, up and down uh, since the break just because uh, he's been getting into some foul trouble a little bit early in games, and I think that he's kind of a rhythm player. Uh, but he was ready to go uh, in that third quarter, giving him eight big points uh, to respond to that Raptors run that cut it to four. But, uh, you know, those that's pretty much going to be your rotation. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, we just mentioned that the three other guys, we'll see what happens, uh, what they do with Danny Green. 
Um, I'm sure that they're going to try and integrate him as best as possible. But it's sounding like eight, nine men the rest of the way, um, you know, also depending on injuries and, and what circumstances are. But um, I'm intrigued. I want to see which way they go because, I mean, JB said they're going to play him heavy minutes. Yeah, and, and Jetty didn't play. He was, I don't believe he was on the injury report against Toronto, but I, I know he was against Atlanta uh, with back spasms. So I don't know if that's one of those, you're available, uh, but probably better to get you rest if we can do it. Uh, the Dean Wade thing is, is fascinating to me because not not that JB said this, but with a lot of kind of the reporting around the Kevin Love bio, it's, oh, Dean Wade's healthy and Kevin Love fell out of the rotation. And he was out of the rotation a little bit beforehand, but uh, Dean is just kind of that most clear option to to be that third bit, right? Like uh, he, he's very malleable with, with how you can play him. Uh, in the two matchups against Boston, he was really important. His defense on Jason Tatum, uh, he, he's one of the kind of the better options that the Cavs have for those bigger wings. And uh, I, I really think it, a lot of it does come down to him regaining that confidence in his shot because coming into the Toronto game, I know he didn't shoot well against Toronto. We won a seven, including one of five from three, but taking seven shots is great because prior to that, he had only taken 20 shots in his previous 120 minutes. And like so often with JB, it does seem like a lot of decisions are uh, in terms of rotation are based on process, right? Like, I don't care if you're missing shots, if you're taking the right shots, right? And if you're playing your role and playing within our offensive and defensive systems and uh, for, for way to, to kind of regain a little bit of his confidence, I, I think would be really big over this stretch because um, w- without him in the rotation, it is harder to kind of find rotations that do work uh, when it comes to the big men. Like I, I actually thought Lamar did a really good job against the Hawks, but in general, um, I, I don't think you'd want to go into games uh, in in the playoffs with Lamar as your third big, it, it, as much as I appreciate his con- contributions. I, I really do think that it's going to need to be weighed if the Cavs are going to have their best chance to, to compete against these teams. Yeah. And that, and that's, you know, inherently the gamble, you know, like that, but they believe in him and they've seen it work before. Uh, we know, you know, the, the tracking on his data when, when he was starting last year and how good the team was when he was starting at the three, you know, like even this year, uh, like the, all yeah. the lineup data yeah. it remains great with him, but it's mm-hmm. just coming off uh, what was seems to be a pretty serious shoulder injury. Uh, just kind of regaining the confidence in that shot. Yep. Yep. Nope. And you're, you're right too. You know, he's, he's agile. Uh, he's younger, um, you know, can crash the, the grass, can crash the glass a little bit. Um, and he stretches the floor. Uh, so like maybe, you know, he can get a little bit more on, on attacking closeouts. Maybe he mm. can use a couple of pump fakes. Uh, but again, I mean, it goes back to the core four. The, the objective is to get it to one of those four. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it, it's just clear as day. It's clear as day. Yeah. And, and it's interesting too, like you, you noting uh, Allen kind of being in the dunker spot a little bit more. I think Mobley's growth as a screen setter really helps. Mm-hmm. And then even now, the the new wrinkle is with Mobley in the corner, it does open up opportunities for the Isaac as screener in, in the pick and roll game, right? Like that small to small, um, trying to force a switch in those situations because that is probably going to be really important. And I think it's important for the Cavs to be working on those kind of sets now and Mobley getting comfortable with that because. We've seen it a lot. Teams are going to try to hide someone on Isaac Okoro. And given how much soft switching a lot of teams do nowadays, 
if you can have Isaac setting a screen uh, for Darius or Donovan, and that means all of a sudden Trey Young is switched on to him, like that is a really advantageous uh, position that you can put yourself in with, with just such a small wrinkle. So I think that that's kind of one of those things that JB's starting to lay the groundwork for, because obviously that's one of the bigger questions going into the postseason is can Isaac work? Uh, can basically any of the role players work, right? Like well, what combinations are, are going to work best uh, for postseason basketball? And uh, I don't think that that's something that you can just start to do when the playoffs come around. Like you, you have to kind of make use of these last two months and, and get these guys familiar with those type of sets if you want it to be successful in the playoffs. It's amazing how, you know, a guards can be setting screens at the top of the key now. Like it, it, how different <laughs> basketball's gotten. We're talking about a guy who's six four coming in there and trying to force a switch for one of his teammates who's also, you know, in, in the same height, same, you know, type of player. Um that's pretty crazy to me. But no, you're you're completely right. I mean, you, you add some some new elements into the half court offense, especially because playoffs are mostly a half court game. Not gonna see a lot of teams um, you know, in transition and getting whatever they want in those situations. It's going to be bogged down. That's why you have a Donovan Mitchell. That's why you have a Karis LeVert. Um, that's why you have, a, you know, the screen and roll game that you have with with Evan and J.A. with with Darius. You know, like, those are – I think that's where the Cavs actually have an advantage because they haven't played fast really all year. Um, so they, they've kind of gotten used to those um, situations and scenarios. But – yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what other kind of things they can add into there. Uh I will be on the lookout for for Isaac on the screens though. It's interesting. I did not notice that. Yeah, it's they, they haven't done it a ton, but they it, he has been used as a screener particularly off ball uh more, but uh I I know the game against Memphis was probably my favorite example of, of using him as a screener and getting Jaw involved in all those sets and uh, even the first play against Atlanta um, automatically went went to Isaac because Trey Young was on him, right? And uh, even though he he missed the layup there, uh, Jared Allen was able to get the the put back in that situation. So definitely something to to keep an eye on. And, and as I said, one of those kind of wrinkles that can really translate to, to postseason basketball. But uh, I'm curious with this five game stretch, we we talked about what you're looking for, uh, which is obviously consistency. What's your biggest concern? Uh, for the Cavs uh, going into this five-game stretch? Concern, uh, maybe with the 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 heavy minutes that we were just talking about, uh, mm-hmm. you got to find guys who can contribute um, off the bench regularly. Uh, we didn't, we haven't even mentioned Ricky Rubio yet. Um, yeah. Hopefully, he's you know healthy, and they've done a lot of rest management with him as of late. Um, he's been struggling. He, he's yeah. honestly been struggling. Yeah. Like the the Ricky minutes ha- haven't felt as good as it did e- even early on, and mm-hmm. um, you, you know that's part of the process. It's somewhat to be expected, but um, it, luckily it's kind of coincided with Karis Levert really playing well as a playmaker. But uh, Ricky's been in a bit of a funk recently, c- kind of quietly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I would say probably yeah, just the the bench because you're gonna need to get these guys some some leeway. With the minutes, they can't be playing 36, 37 every night leading up to the postseason. You don't want that. We mm-hmm. already brought up the schedule and how it gets a little bit softer. I understand that. Um, but there has to be a way to get some production um, off that bench. And I think, you know, it's going to start with Dean Wade. We know what Karras has been doing. I think Karras has been their most consistent bench player this season. Um, but that's the area I think I would look for the most uh, that needs improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to 
criticize their defense. There's 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 been a lot of shot luck that hasn't gone their way this year. <laughs> I know Atlanta Atlanta was absolutely an anomaly. And that was just bad defense. That was just bad defense. That was just bad defense. But you just look at the way everything else is going. Like like they are contesting shots. They are sticking to the game plan. I know people, you know, if you want to go back to the Denver game, they're like, oh, why are you doubling Nikola Jokic? I don't know, because Nikola Jokic. Like, you know, like, so that's why this guy's open, because there's other, you know, weapons on that team. But, yeah, you know, it's the, it, I, I think um, it's the identity that you want to, to have moving forward uh, is what you've been doing all season long and why they have a top defense in the NBA is because they've been contesting shots like crazy. They've been helping the helper. Uh, they've been doing a good job of of stopping penetration for the most part and, and forcing a lot of ball swings above the arc. Not a lot of teams are having a lot of luck in the paint against these guys, and for good reason. Yeah. Uh, but it's it concern wise, and I would I would say definitely the the bench and, and maybe trying to get them involved a little bit more, especially um, with the teams you're playing. Yeah, I think my biggest concern is basically what they're going to do with some of these big wings that they play, right? Uh, whether it's Jason Tatum or Jimmy Butler. As yeah. I mentioned in the past, that was kind of Dean Wade's responsibility, right? And uh, with him not necessarily being in a groove right now, it kind of feels like if that's not working and, and if they don't have confidence in, in giving him minutes at this time, how they go about defending those guys, I, I think is going to be the most fascinating thing because... I mean, that's part of the equation with the Love buyout, right? Like, you, you look at the, the two play-in games that they played last year. Kevin Love, they weren't able to play him against Atlanta and uh, basically stopped playing him after the first half in Brooklyn. So um, we were discussing after the buyout whether it's kind of a vote of confidence or if it's a test for everyone else. And I think kind of the consensus that we had was it's a test, right? Like, uh, if these other options don't work, we need to figure out what does and doesn't work, right? Like we, we, it's kind of better to go with what you anticipate to be that postseason rotation and and kind of throw these guys to the fire and see who rises to the occasion, build up some chemistry there, uh, rather than going to options that you don't feel as confident will translate to the postseason. So uh, how Dean Wade does uh, against Jason Tatum and against Jimmy Butler uh, if he's able to kind of find a bit of a groove on offense, like to me, that's my biggest concern because the, the other stuff about like keeping everybody involved and, and uh, the balance between the core four, like that's, that's going to be a question, but at the same time, that's something that over the course of the season, they've done a really, really damn good job. Like every single combination of those four w with one on or off the lineup seems to really work like the, the the fact that garland and mitchell together have a plus seven five net rating uh garland with no mitchell plus 6.6 .6. mitchell with no garland plus 4.9 like all of those net ratings would be top three in the nba like this team rocks in every single combination it's about finding the the role players and the contributors outside of that core four that can really kind of accentuate and uh absorb some of those minutes defending other stars so uh, that that would probably be my biggest concern heading into this stretch, but it's like I said, it's a really awesome opportunity. Like you, you're only playing two games this week. Uh, you you get the palate cleanser with Detroit, where you you can maybe try out some stuff that that did and didn't work out uh, in that first Boston game, and then you host Boston again and you head off to Miami. Like this is uh this is going to be some really really fascinating basketball. Yeah, it's going to be weird not being in the arena like every night. Like like I feel like <laughs> you know like the. There was a stretch, man, in like uh, I think it was December, where they had 
so many home games. I think it was a six or seven game homestand, and mm-hmm. I, was, I was there the whole the whole way. I was so like didn't know what time it was, could cook dinner and all that stuff. So like he, seeing two games in seven days is interesting, especially the way that the schedule has been this year. Uh, so it's a little it's a little different, but I'm sure that they are really looking to take advantage of this uh, and and you know heal some of those uh, those bumps and bruises. Well, I, I want to take advantage of a, a little bit of your time around the team. What what has kind of your your biggest surprise been this season? Just being around this Cavs team. Oh, my biggest surprise in, in what sense? Like just something that in either direction, like that that you didn't necessarily expect. It either was preconceived notions of what this team was going to be, or um, how how well something's gelled, or, or how uh, poorly something's gone. In either direction, wh- wherever you want to go. I can old takes expose myself. Yeah, I, I had no idea. I had no idea Donovan was as strong as he was. <laughs> <laughs> he is a running back, man. He is a running back. Like some of, the, I mean, we we talk about the cavalcade of moves, but like just the brute strength with his shoulder that he can use to just go through guys. Uh, I think I really underestimated that. Um, his balance, um, and I've asked him this before. Um, just, just the way that he's worked in the past with, with Quinn Snyder and Johnny Bryant, um, who's obviously with the Knicks now. So cue all that speculation, but he, <laughs> that was who was taught him in, in Utah about, you know, doing these drills and working on his footwork, working on his balance. Um, he's just a really, he's really amazing, <laughs> amazing at his craft. He is, uh, just when you watch him, it's like, he can just step in to 30 and you look up and you're like what like i i think i I tweeted that on on saturday i was like or on sunday i was like i I looked down he had 25 looked up he had 35 i'm like where did this come from what happened um obviously he hit eight threes in that game but uh it's the it's it's not even the three making for me it's it's the strength and it's the way that he can create separation some of these dribble moves they I did not watch enough jazz basketball, I guess. Um, and that's, you know, that's on me. But he is... is it's also some... on just, you know, the West Coast. Like, you know, <laughs> staying up late is difficult. I can't make that excuse, though, because the Northwest Division is my favorite in basketball. But... And I did, you know, watch some Donovan there. But, like, there's just... There's something about the way that he goes about getting buckets that just... I did not know that he was that capable of that. And, again, mm-hmm. that's on me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. Uh, before we get you out of here, uh, I'll let you get a take in on what the Cavs should do with their last roster spot. Do you, do you have any uh, strong feelings there? Well, you lost a big, right? So you need a four slash five or do you? Because, I mean, you have Rolo in the house. Yeah. Um, so it didn't really make sense for them to bring in someone like, for example, Nerlens Noel just got bought out today, right? He's probably uh, going to want somewhere with playing time. Like that, that would be my expectation. Agreed. Yeah. So. I mean, do you look on the open bio, the buyout market? Do you promote someone like you know Isaiah Mobley, who's been doing doing really well with the charge? Yeah. Um, you know Sam Merrill, same thing. Ah, uh, it's a good question. I don't know what they should do with it because the last roster spot, as we've seen, like even the the tenth, eleventh guy isn't getting playing time. Uh, you do want that depth. I'm in, I'm interested to see what happens with Danny Green. Like I said, with the rotation, I want to see if they're going to implement him as a regular player or if they're going to use him in spot situations. I don't know. Um, there's some guys on the, on the buyout market. I guess one name that 
I, I saw this is not a report. Please do not aggregate this. Aggregate it. Uh, aggregate it. Help promote not the podcast by taking this. him out of context right now. If if you want to go for the shooting angle, uh, Nemanja Bayelitsa, I think, makes a lot of sense. Um, I have not thought of that at all. <laughs> you know, like, I, I'm just... And, and I pride going... myself as someone that's, like, way, way, way into yeah. kind of, like, examining every possible option. That, that was not a name that I was expecting at all. It's just I was expecting Boogie she... Cousins before that name. <laughs> yeah, I was that. Well, again, they have Robo at the five, so it's yeah, like, I know. You know, it's like you don't really see too many out there. Like, I, I what? Carmelo's a free agent, right? Do Do you want to bring in someone? Yes. Like that? Like I, I, mean, I know. Here's the Here's the thing. I I, I talked about Kisachi in our Discord. It's a shame that all the the knights with the land jerseys are are over because the Carmelo Anthony the land jersey would be like a Coachella. S tier jersey that you, I would have to get that one. <laughs> right, right, of course. Uh, Will Barton's out there, but again, do you want to yeah. oh, fill up your guard room? Like, I think they trust Ricky Rubio. I think they trust Howell Neto. Uh, you know, I think they trust a lot of the, the the vets that they do have. I think they trust them come postseason time. And we're running out of time. You know, there's again only less than twenty minutes to to integrate someone into a rotation. You can see twenty how minutes. It is. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, twenty minutes left in the season. <laughs> I'm all over the place, yeah. but, but no, like you can see how difficult it is to integrate someone into rotation just simply by looking at what, what's going on with Danny right now. You know, like he's only played, I think two games, yeah. two, three games, like, and he's barely played like, and, uh, you know, if you add another body into that, that just complicates Mathers further. So I think they go with what they got. Uh, maybe the last roster spot does get, you know, converted to a contract or something like that. That'd probably make the most sense. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that they just stick with what they have, to be honest. But, yeah, I'm glad that uh, Bayelitsa caught you off guard. I, I didn't know you would do that. But, you know, <laughs> you, you just think about stretch four, and that's kind of what they need. So, Yeah, I, I think my preference is honestly just kind of, like, sign Diakite to, to an NBA deal, promote someone from uh, within, like, even yeah. Sharif Cooper, right? Get, get him on a two-way mm-hmm. boat before some other team scoops him up. And, and someone uh, will. Someone and, will. Right, and if Howell Neto moves on in the offseason, maybe he can be your third guard, uh, right? Like, you, you never know. So um, maybe that's the way you go. Or or maybe Sam Merrill, as you said, right? Like, he's played well. Um, I'd say Mobley, I'd be a little surprised uh, just from, like, a team control standpoint. I don't think – I think sure. keeping him on the two-way when he hasn't had a lot of games up with, with the Cavs. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, teams always try to, to play that out to maximize team control and all all those little rules. So um, I, I, I'm interested to see where they go with it, but you never know. Maybe, maybe they do feel that there's a need for a veteran that if you are in a pinch, if there is foul trouble, someone that you can call in and give you four or five minutes. Um, the proverbial it, I, Dante Jones, you know, like exactly right. Like, <laughs> Rack that, up some fines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, do you want to give any bold predictions uh, for how we're going to do over this five game stretch? What, what would quanta, what, what would be success in your eyes o- over these five games? I think what you said, three and two. Um, yeah. I mean, you play the Celtics twice. You play the Pistons this weekend. You can't lose to the Pistons. That'd be very bad. Do, do not do that. They, they are do, not good right now. Do, do not want to do that right now, especially the state of that squad. Um, and then you have the next two in Miami. You're going to want at least one of those. You want yep. at least one of those. So, yeah. Uh, three and two, I think, would 
would be successful uh, in that situation. But I mean, shoot, that's tough. I mean, you get Boston twice, you get Miami twice. That's that's not easy, especially knowing that the the, the Heat themselves that we just talked about Kevin Love. You know, he's having a, a pretty decent game tonight against Philly, and yeah, they just um, beat they just beat Philly. So the Cavs are now two games back a third. There you go. See, it happens live. Um, and you, you have, you know, they picked up, I, I thought, you know, Cody Zeller was a nice little shrewd pickup by them too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they have a roster full of vets and they're hungry and they're trying to really finish the season strong. Um, and then we just talked about Boston, man. I mean, they are really good, especially, you know, you have Marcus Smart back, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, some of the additions. I, I love Malcolm Brogdon so much. <laughs> He's yeah. a great player. Grant Williams, amazing, amazing role player. Robert Williams is tough. Like these are hard teams to beat, guys. These are hard teams to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you split with those two and you beat Detroit, that I think would would be a good situation for them. Oh, and speaking of breaking news, I'm going to break our producer Matt Gold's heart right now. I just got a notification that Lamelo Ball suffered a fracture in his right ankle in tonight's game against Detroit. So uh lamella ball super fan matt goldie is heartbroken right now so oh uh, that sucks man that really does suck he, he was oh. playing fantastic and i was also hoping for uh some mark williams in my fantasy playoffs and, and that's going to hurt that as well so that's a little bit of devastating news but hey the Cavs are a little closer to the three seed and honestly if they have a winning record over this five game stand they keep they stay in the mix, right? Because Philly's yeah. got this is the real tough part of the season for Miami, for Philly, for Brooklyn, even for New York. You look at all those teams and what these two weeks are going to be. Uh, and, and it's this is probably going to determine kind of what your range of, of finishing is going to be. So, uh, if they go four and one, ooh, 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 I'm going to get a little obnoxious, but don't get two, greedy, don't get greedy now. Oh, I'm, I'm always greedy, you know that. <laughs> uh, but you know, three and two, uh, I will absolutely take it. Spencer, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, basketballnews.com, make sure you guys are, are checking out. You guys do a ton of great work there. Keep an eye for podcasts, I really enjoy it as well. Spencer, do you want to plug anything you got coming up, uh, uh for the listeners to know about? Uh, coming up, uh, you're going to laugh at this, actually. Uh, I have a feature coming up on Scotty Barnes, uh, ah. the Raptors. And uh, yes, I know he is the sworn enemy of Cavs Nation. But, no, it's okay. Uh, you got you to gotta promote some of these guys that, that haven't made it uh, like like Evan Mobley has. Oh, see, see, now the, the, the backhanded compliment. But no, I did, I did talk to uh, Scotty Barnes about basically responding to being a rookie of the year. So um, that'll come out this week. I did a couple. I, I did like three features last week, but... Um, the, the one that I, I was really proud of was Dominic Barlow, the Spurs. Um, he's the first ever, uh, overtime elite alum to make it to the NBA and play. Uh, so, uh, definitely check that out. Um, the Karis Levert interview is still holding up. Uh, so please check it, that it was, out. It was fantastic. We, we plugged it on uh, a previous episode, but make sure you guys have, are checking that out if you haven't already. I appreciate that. And then the, I had a wide ranging one too, an NBA parody, as I mentioned, um, talked to, a lot of players uh, from the Heat uh, talked to different coaches that came in uh, just about why the league's so competitive this year. And they, they had answers regarding the play-in, but there were a couple of other ones too that were, were kind of fascinating to me. Um, so definitely check that out. That's a plug for you. Um, I'm at Spin Davies on Twitter, at Spin Davies on Instagram. And uh, yeah, uh, keep it at 94, subscribe, rate, review. And uh, please, please, please uh, interact with me on Twitter. Uh, if you already don't, I'm trying to be better. I don't really <laughs> like tweeting because I don't like Twitter, but uh, I'm trying fair. to get back to my old ways, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, 
<laughs> it's uh it, it can be a little trying at times but you know i'm 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 trying to keep it in the right headspace as well because <laughs> you know it it's so stupid because 80 percent of the interactions are great and it's like the the few that are negative just outweigh it and that shouldn't be the mindset but that's just the way we're wired uh but you know honestly all the the feedback that we get all, all the love uh, for the podcast is really appreciated really appreciate everyone tuning in live on youtube right now make sure you like and subscribe click notification bell so you know when we're going live if you're listening via podcast and you want to support us leave us rating your review subscribe unsubscribe resubscribe and help cook those books if you want to be part of chase down's exclusive discord chat send a screenshot of that review to chase down at gmail.com however you choose to support us we really do appreciate it make sure you guys are staying safe out there until next time go cats